The Red Light District by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 15, Defying the President's Orders. President, we have communication with the directors yet. Do you... Put me on that line, General. Channel open. Mr. Director, General McNally, this is the President of the United States speaking. I implore you to turn your jet around and head back home. Please. No charges will be brought against either of you in this incident or about the Hudson Project. Both will be forgotten. This president finished. All he could hear was static on the hookup. General, are you sure they can hear me? Yes, Mr. President. They just aren't answering. Mr. Director, General McNally, listen. I repeat, no charges will be brought against either of you. Monty, you talk to him. Mr. Director, this is Monty. It's all over. Turn around and come back home. Monty, I never thought you'd end up being a traitor to the United States. I'd like to point out that you two call me traitor when both of you are flying to asylum in a communist country. Well, you're damn right we are, said McNally. Going right to Cuba. We're going to blow the lid on this thing. Adam McNally, this is the president. I have ordered several squadrons into the air. They're advancing on your jet at this very moment. I don't want to have to use them. There was no response, and the minutes began to tick by. Orson radar reports they've crossed over into the area of the Gulf of Mexico, said Grayson. Don't be fools. If you don't turn back now, I'm going to order those jets to fire on your plane. I'll be abrogating my oath of office if I don't shoot you down. Peabody spoke next. I have only one thing to say to you, Mr. President. You've subverted the Constitution. War to preserve, protect, and defend. You've left the United States wide open to destruction by halting our efforts at Project Hudson. The world would have been perpetually safe, and now you've destroyed that. You've heard wrong, Mr. Director. I've sent soldiers to Arizona to guard the project. We won't be worried about your life, said McNally. You listen to me, McNally. I told you I've dropped the charges. We don't believe. All charges will be dropped. Will I retain my position at the Bureau? Yes, I'll agree to that, said the president. Well, let us think about it. No, no thinking about it. Yes or no? Perry ran over to the president and, and spoke to him in a low voice. This stalling, Mr. President. Every minute you wait, you get closer to Cuba. I agree, Mr. President. The only concern we have now is the safety of our country. Every minute you wait, you're... all right, all right. What if they blurt something out? Or on thin ice as it is, Chad. President calmly walked over to the telephone. This is the President. Mr. Director, General McNally, you have 30 seconds to turn your jet back to the mainland. I repeat, you have 30 seconds to turn your jet around. The radio remained silent except for the usual static. There was no response from either man as the President's face tightened. General Grayson, put me on a frequency to the squadron leader. Yes, sir. He says the frequency modulated back and forth. You are connected, Mr. President. This is the President of the United States. Can you hear me? Captain Daniel Hollis, Mr. President, said the squadron leader. Captain Hollis, the jet in front of you has 30 seconds when I finish this transmission to veer back to the mainland. If it does not change course, he said as he paused for a few seconds, Shoot the damn thing down. Yes, Mr. President. Put me back on the channel. You're on the channel, Mr. President. 
General, Mr. Director, he said as he looked down at his own watch, you have 20 seconds. I've already given the order. Please, turn around. Five seconds left. The President was still pleading. This is your last warning. Peabody, turn that damn jet around. He shouted at the telephone hookup as his eyes watered and the wrinkles on his face deepened. Alpha 1, Alpha 1, located fire. The President closed his eyes. Somewhere, they had locked onto the flight path of the director's jet, and missiles were whizzing across the Gulf of Mexico night sky. Target destroyed, Mr. President. Further instructions. The President sat down in a large green chair with his head in his hands. Slowly, he shook his head in dismay. They deserve better than that. I know that. Excuse me, Mr. President. I don't mean to sound cold, but, said Rich Neal, it'd only be a matter of hours before the press picks this up. No, Rich, I understand. You're right. We have to issue a statement. Mr. President, this is General Grayson. You can tell them that the plane crashed. They'll jump on that in minutes, General. No, no, no. We have to admit that the plane was shot down. That's a cold fact. Just because the pilots weren't on frequency doesn't mean that someone else didn't pick this up. Our answer must deal with why the plane was shot down. I'll get back to you, General, said the President as he turned to the group. I can't believe I just killed Peabody and McNally. It's over, Mr. President. You did what you had to do. Now let's deal with the rest of this ugly mess, said Curry as he brought him a steaming cup of coffee. They resumed their positions in the chair as they waited for Grayson to start the actual operation. The President and Jim Curry stood outside at sunrise on the front steps of the compound. Neither men had slept, and the strain was getting to the president. He would be the one who shouldered the blame for any fallout of the events of the past two years, and especially the events of the previous 24 hours. As the morning sun peeked over the snow-covered ridges and into his eyes, he closed them tight and opened them several times, trying to stay awake. Can't go public with this right now, Mr. President, said Curry as he inhaled deeply on a cigarette. That in itself would be called the moralistic approach, as we discuss whether the people have a right to know about these things. If we're talking about the safety of the very people that we're going to level with, then it comes down to a classical dilemma. If we don't keep things like Hudson secret, in reality, we've destroyed the very purpose of the existence of free government itself. Simple argument, Mr. President, right? Many people forget it. No, I'm very much aware of that argument. The philosophical arguments and people's attitudes don't make it any easier. Well, it's not over by any means. We still haven't come out with a statement about McNally and Peabody. I say we wait and see what the reaction is, and then we'll know what we're up against. He said as he dropped his cigarette to the cement and put it out with his shoe. Rich Neal opened the door to the compound before the president could answer. Mr. President, they're about to begin the assault. Thank you, Rich said the president as he walked back into the house. He took off his coat and set it on the chair. Neil handed him yet another cup of coffee and he walked over to the telephone, which is already tied in with Grayson. The sound of helicopter blades could be heard clearly. General, this is the president. We're ready to go here, Mr. President. I'm standing on top of the cliff. It's still very dark out here. I've just lowered three men on ropes down the side. The hollow pipe is being put in place, and once we've got their signal, we'll turn on the power. A simple 12-volt battery. Kamamucho says that'll do it. You're kidding. That's what he said. You encountered any difficulties? Negative. Kamamucho is standing by in the town if we need him. It's 
pitch black out here. We cut all the light. I'll tell you honestly, Mr. President, if I didn't have those blueprints, I'd seriously question whether there's an installation under these rocks at all. Wait. He said as he paused, and the President's heart started beating quickly. They're ready. I'm pressing the button now. You can probably pick it up on the walkie-talkie. They could hear the voices of the soldiers on the ropes in front of the cliffs. The sparks are flying everywhere, but the pipe is penetrating the rock. Half covered now, those sparks have stopped. It's swinging in the air, General. It must have gone through. Now it's stopped. We can see it in there. Yeah, white light, very dim. All clear for additional men at this point. And we cut the power. Power is cut, Mr. President. The President leaned over and listened to the transmission. I'm in a portion marked the seminar room. I'm right around an area with brown drapes called the main complex. Mr. President, we're going in. My God, there's nothing there, only a blue carpet and an American flag. Monty, what's going on here? Is this Operation Dunkirk? Afraid so, Mr. President. It's definitely Operation Dunkirk. They may have abandoned the complex. General, they've implemented a procedure called Operation Dunkirk. That means they're disassembling the complex. We'll have to sit tight, Mr. President, until somebody enters that room through the field there. If we try and break through the other room, Richards could detonate his bomb. Ask them if they can see anyone in there. Sergeant, what do you see in there? The master control room is dark, sir. You'll have to wait and we'll get back to you, sir. The president had been told that they were poised and ready to find Dr. Richards. But just a few minutes later, when the president was across the room splashing cold water on his face, he heard the general's voice. President rushed from the window and over to the telephone hookup. My name is General Grayson of the... Grayson's proclamation was interrupted by a wild gunshot and then a volley of shots sounded over the hookup. What's going on, General? Nobody heard on this side, but there are men dead here. You men, get those wristbands. Grayson, what's happening out there? Mr. President, they fired upon us and we're procuring their wristbands and we're proceeding to their master control area. Good, good. Act deliberately or Richards will blow the place sky high. I understand, Mr. President. First unit, come with me to master control. Second unit remains here. Third unit to the technician's quarters. You have your orders. Shoot to kill with any resistance. When the telephone hookup went out, the President panicked. General, General, what's going on out there? General, Rich, get that thing hooked up again. It is hooked up, Mr. President. It's on their end. Well, this is not good. We have no way to contact these people. For 15 minutes, they waited for some sort of transmission. It was only when Grayson came on the line again did they get a rundown of what had happened during the previous 15 minutes. Mr. President, we were confronted by security people. Those men are dead. Mr. President, the reason we went off the air was our men confronted a field which slowed them down like cold molasses. They could breathe, but they had to retreat to their original positions. We heard shooting in the main seminar room. Now we're in the control center. Two more of their security men are dead, and none of our men have been hurt. That's encouraging. I think we're taking out most of these people, Mr. President. All security resistance has been eliminated. Can you hear us? Yes, General, I heard you. Guarding the entrance to what appears to be a detonation device. Shall I bring in Kamamucho? Monty, do you think it's wise to bring him in at this time? Yes, bring him in. Bring him in. 
Tell him to concentrate his men in the quarters area to find Richards right away. We don't know what he's going to do, Mr. President. Do I hear any disagreement with that option? He said as he looked around the room. When the men remained silent, he turned back to the phone. General, bring in Kamamucho, have him work sealing that field around the window. Then get him working on disarming that bomb. I want you to concentrate your men in the quarters area to find Richards. Yes, Mr. President. Sergeant Harrison, I'm sending in six additional men down to you. Check the quarters for Dr. Richards. If those technicians are in there too, bring them out into the big room. And again, find Richards. Yes, sir. The President listened to reports of Kamamucho immediately sealing the field. He explained that the pipe acted like a container in water, and when the container was removed, the water would flow back into the space. Two soldiers were left in the seminar room, while the others brought Kamamucho up to the control room. They all monitored the conversation between Grayson and Kamamucho. General, I will need at least 19 minutes to disconnect the device. It's directly tied into the computers. I will need no interruptions. I'll leave two men in here, doctor. The rest of us are going below. The president was dismayed by Richards' disappearance. None of the techs who had been captured would inform them where Richards had gone, nor would they talk about anything about the project. Breakfast was brought into the room, and the president was eating scrambled eggs when he heard the general's voice come over the hookup. Every area has been sealed, Mr. President. There's absolutely no sign of Dr. Richards. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. What about Kamamucho? What's going on with him? The device is virtually inoperative. He'll need a few more minutes. That is fantastic news. Thank you, General. That's another load off our shoulders. Once the device is disconnected, get him working on those technicians. Before you can bring people back into that town, I want you to search the entire desert for Richards. And let's be very discreet about using that supply entrance. Maybe the nighttime would be optimum for bringing people in and out. Do you have any other questions of me, General? People are going to be asking about the plane crash and the chlorine. Everything has been arranged, General. Clem tells me the plane is five miles due west of Redstone. It's almost on the highway itself. Crew parachuted out, and they will handle the press. Very good, Mr. President. It's been a very long night. I want to personally express my gratitude to you and your men for a smooth operation. Now, if we can just locate Richards, this nightmare will be over. Late that night, after several hours of sleep during the day, the president decided he would call on Polanski in the hospital. Even though Richards was still at large, most of the danger was now behind them, and he felt obligated to brief the man who had risked his life in order to end the Hudson project. Earlier in the day, the president ordered a group of jets over the Gulf of Mexico. As he flew in the helicopter toward Bolton Hospital, he talked to Grayson again on the radio. The general reported that the jets had found no trace of the director's jet. Plansky sat on a chair watching television as the president opened the door to the room and walked in. Mr. President, exclaimed Plansky as he rose from the chair. Well, it's good to see you up and around, Plansky, he said as he shook his hand. Plansky tightened the belt on his new bathrobe as the president continued. I want to brief you on what's happened last night due to your efforts. Plansky's mouth dropped as he had grown accustomed to hearing bad news. For the first time in 25 years, Project Hudson does not exist. You're kidding, 
smiled Polanski as he jumped into the air despite his discomfort. No, I'm serious. How? Is the town safe? What are you going to do with Richards? Special forces were sent into the complex last night. All resistance was eliminated with a minimal loss of life. What did Richards say when they captured him? The president's broad smile fell into a tightened frown. Well, I, uh... I mean to say, we haven't located Dr. Richards at the present time. He got away, exclaimed Polanski. What if he starts talking? Well, Hudson is disabled, and we're questioning the technicians. Of course, if he talks, we'll deny any involvement in this. Well, that's a job for the government now. When do I get out of this place and back to my family? The doctors say they don't even know when I can leave. And I do have another request, Mr. President. Yes, of course, Mr. Polanski, anything. I'd just like to talk to my wife in Redstone. Well, we're going to have to wait a few days on that until this thing gets cleared up. Waited almost six months. I guess I can wait a few more days. I have to fly back to Washington. Please, when you're better, you're coming to the Oval Office. I'll bring my whole family, exclaimed Polanski exuberantly as he shook the president's hand. The president bade him farewell and abruptly left the hospital room. He was joined in the corridor by Jim Curry. It's a damn pity, Jim. What's a pity, Mr. President? It's a pity, he said as he walked down the corridor of the hospital. And he'll probably never see his wife and children again. Curry nodded his head in agreement as they headed for the roof in the helicopter that would fly them back to the White House. Join us next time for another exciting episode of The Red Light District by Robert P. Fitton. Presented by Fitton Theater of the Words.